Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. I'm Liz. Today we discuss the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, New Eden. Annika, what did you think? It, it was, it was, okay. <laughs> I, I finished the episode thinking that it, I was surprised it was already over. The first episode was a full hour of this season, which was long. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, so this one was back to like the normal 42 minute mark, but it felt short. I don't know if it's because the first one was long or if it was the pacing of the episode. I'm not really sure, but I was like, oh, it's over. <laughs> and I was surprised at that. I don't know why. It wasn't like there was something missing. I just was surprised that it was over. And I was like, well, that was that was fine. That was a, a you know, a good enough episode. It, it's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was I was really sort of just like, it was fine. Like I didn't have this excitement the way I did after the premiere. Yeah. And then I went online. And I started watching, I watched it a little bit past start time. Yes. Um, and I went online and I saw my entire Twitter feed just like, it was the best episode of Star Trek in 20 years. And it mm. was, uh, it was a return to true Star Trek form. And it was, it was so Star Trek. And I was like, oh my God, what is wrong with me that I didn't have that reaction? Like, I really thought it was me, <laughs> and I didn't know how to take it. And I was like, should I watch it immediately again and, and like, figure out what it was that is so great? But at the same time, I was really bristling at this whole, it was great Star Trek, and this is what Star Trek should be, and it, as if, like, everything else that happened on Discovery is not. not. Yes. I didn't, I didn't like that implication at all it like really rubbed me the wrong way I didn't say anything because I could tell that everybody who was saying this it was coming from a really good place they they were complimenting they were very positive they weren't they weren't meaning to no uh say anything negative about discovery or or anything else it was just that was how it came off to me you get a bit defensive yeah and so I don't, I, I think that everybody reacts to things in different ways and everybody, you know, connects to Star Trek or anything else individually and all of that is valid. So I don't think that I'm really like a terrible Star Trek fan <laughs> for not thinking this is the best episode of Star Trek ever. <laughs> but I, like, I really, I really, for the first day <laughs> was was very much, I should rewatch it and be as rapturous as these people. Like, I felt like there was a poll and was like, which episode did you like better, <laughs> Brother or, or New Eden? And I couldn't answer because I was afraid to choose Brother. Oh, which, that's... <laughs> it's so terrible when ridiculous. you feel alienated just by having yeah. an opinion, which is perfectly valid but different from... The majority or the perceived yeah. majority. And, it, you know, it's because, like, I respect these people that, that have all the, that had this, this other opinion. And I, I felt like, you know, I follow them on Twitter because they're my friends and we, yeah. we are, we are a Star Trek community. And so it was interesting. After that, I, after, pretty much like after the poll, I was like, okay, I'm being ridiculous and I need to stop. And I, <laughs> I need to just accept that I am allowed to have a different reaction and I had the same reaction for uh, Magic to make the sanest, whatever that title of that episode is. The second Mud episode. Right. Yes, I remember you've been quite lukewarm on that. Everyone, that's everyone's favourite episode of the first season, and I'm like, eh. You know, don't feel like you have to apologise for not liking something <laughs> that's popular. Or, indeed, liking it, but liking it less than other people. Yeah. Like, again, there's nothing wrong with New Eden. It's a perfectly good episode. It just, it, I didn't think it was this amazing trek. Like, that, I didn't have that feeling. For me, it did feel very Star Trek in the sense that it was playing it safe and it was telling a story that we've seen Star Trek do before in a very similar way that all to all the other series 
takes on it. I didn't. It didn't feel like discovery. It felt like it was using a lot of tropes that we're familiar with and not interrogating them very much. So yes, it felt very trekkish, but when I say that, I don't mean it in a positive way. I expect I expect Discovery to do more than play it safe with Star Trek's tropes. Yeah, I mean it's even in the name. It's like Discovery should be discovering new things. Yes. Instead of retreading what the previous shows have done. Yes, exactly. And I've said this elsewhere, talking about this episode, and I'll probably say it again, but. On my blog, Between Discovery Seasons, I've been doing a weekly post re-watching Voyager, and I've realised that one of the questions I always ask is, could this story only be told with these characters and this situation on this series, or is it more of a general sort of Star Trek story that can be told by any series? And if, it's, if it is that generic sort of story, that's not inherently bad, but if you do it too much, you do end up with something quite bland and overly familiar like the early seasons of Voyager and I don't want Mm. Discovery to fall into that trap yeah to me this felt a lot it it felt the most like a next generation episode I would say whereas it's like a little bit past TOS but hasn't started doing new things on their own it's like you know the the first few seasons of TNG (laughs) were basically let's do TOS again with, you know, new characters and 20 years later and, like, they weren't taking risks in the same way. And I like risks. It's funny you say that because the writers said on Twitter that they were explicitly inspired by the season three TNG episode, Who Watches the Watchers, which is a good episode and one of those classic Star Trek trope stories. Mm -hmm. But it felt so familiar in every respect. And also, you know, they already redid Who Watches the Watchers with Insurrection. So, like, why are we redoing that same story over and over again? It was a perfectly good episode the first time. And not really changing stuff. Yeah. It's kind of a mixed bag for me. I liked everything that happened on Discovery itself. I liked what we learned about Michael and Spock and, and all of Michael's scenes with Pike. The planet side stuff really didn't work for me. And I think the world building just didn't come together for me. It's just, they just told us what the world was. It's like, this is this is the location that we're working in right now, but there wasn't any how we got there. I, and I, I, part of it is because it's like supposed to be like a mystery, I guess. It's like part of the larger mystery. But I just, I didn't feel connected to any of those people or... No. Anything. About, like, it was sort of like, they're here and they're from Earth. They're human. They left World War Three. It was it was interesting in a sense because they were so I've been calling them pilgrims. Like it was very like Plymouth Yes sixteen hundreds to me. And like in that same sort of we are going backwards in time. Like we're we're purposefully forgetting things that we know in order to pursue this new world in this very specific religious way. Yes, and honestly, the deliberate forgetting of history, if you can call it that, really troubled me because this weekend marks Australia Day, which is the national holiday to celebrate or commemorate the founding of Australia. But it's also the day we could officially mark the beginning of the genocide against the Indigenous people of our country. And it's also called Invasion Day and there are protests. And it's a really it's really contested ground. And one of the problems in Australia is that there is this collective forgetting of the history that brought us here, that we can celebrate Australia Day because we have deliberately forgotten or erased the massacres and everything else that came along the way. Yes. And I think if you're a planet of people who basically survived World War Three against all the odds and believe that you're the only survivors, is it really wise to forget that? Is that really utopian? Yeah. I I would be more interested in the people who were first pulled over and Mm. why they made their decisions than I was in these sort of really bland descendants. Well, we really only speak to two of them, Jacob and the All-Mother, yeah. and they're both very thin stereotypes. Jacob is the questioning man of science, and the All-Mother is the lady who 
always speaks in a sing-song voice and delivers the exposition but doesn't really have a personality beyond that. Uh, and so the most revolutionary thing about the All-Mother is that this, this particular type of character is played by a woman instead of a man for a change. <laughs> yes. That, I think that the planet stuff, it just didn't, there was nothing really behind. Like, as you say, there are very cardboard stereotypes and there wasn't anything behind it to, to give us something. Yes. To, there were, the stakes weren't there for me. Like, obviously it's like, yay, we saved them. But that was more about discovery saving them than it was about them. Like, I didn't really care that they were going to die. Except as a person, you know, like, you know, I cared because I don't want them to die, but there wasn't any, like, connection or it was, if, if the comet or pulsar, whatever, I don't... I think the planet's radioactive rings. Yes, the planet's radioactive rings were going to kill them off, you know, that could be seen as an act of God too, so... Why are we interfering? <laughs> There's no tension there. Like, either they're all going to be res um, saved and be allowed to remain on the planet, or yeah. Discovery will bring them home to Earth and they'll be reintegrated with the Federation and, I don't know, yeah. maybe join Owasakon's parents in a Luddite community or whatever. Yeah. And obviously there was no real danger because Pike and Michael are on the planet. Like, they might kill Owasakon. Probably not, but maybe... But Pike and Michael are, are going to, you know, they're not going to die. <laughs> so guess they're going to save them. Yeah. And I also don't think they would, like, I don't think, this is this is something that is very Star Trek. I don't think that, that Star Trek would ever kill off an entire planet's population. Not counting Vulcan. Not in a situation where we've met the met the inhabitants. That, that stuff happens off screen. Right. right. No, my other beef was, I think, if you're going to tell a story about religion versus science or science versus faith using human characters and human religions you probably need to get a little bit uh deeper and braver with the depiction of religion than it did here because it just felt like oh they've mashed up a bunch of major earth religions and wicca and that's completely peaceful and there was no conflict and there's no <laughs> real um it just worked yeah it, was, yeah, it was great. They just did it, and, it, and everyone agreed, and it was you know, like I would love to live in that world, <laughs> because I mean, I I have a very uh, eclectic religious background. Oh yeah, my grandparents on one side were Episcopalian, and then the other side were Lutheran, and you would think that that would be pretty much just both both Protestant both like closer to Catholic than other Protestants, but no, they were very different. <laughs> and then my mother sort of wanted something that was like, I, I always say that I'm the daughter of a hippie and a college professor. My, my mother was a flower child, like literally. Oh, bless. And so she wanted a church, but she wanted a church that would be the hippie equivalent. Yeah. And she found... A congregationalist, which is funny because they like literally the congregationalists literally are Puritans, like they are the pilgrims who came over in the Mayflower. That's the same religion, so you would think that they are not hippies, but you know, all these years later, they're they are, totally they, hippies. Right, they're totally they're like the most liberal leftist. You know, we had a lesbian minister way before <laughs> it was a thing <laughs> to have a lesbian minister. And then my father was basically agnostic. Like, he didn't really talk about it. But he, this was the college professor. Yes. And, but he was very academic about everything. Like, you know, we don't know, but probably there's no God. <laughs> like, that, you know, that was his thing. But at the same time, his specialty, or mm. I mean, he was a theater professor, but his work was in shadow puppetry, from Indonesia, oh, um, wow. specifically Bali, Indonesia, which is an extremely Buddhist yes. island. Thanksgiving for my family was about inviting all of the uh, college students who couldn't go home for the holidays. Oh my gosh, that's so Because kind. they were from Indonesia. <laughs> so, mm. so it was a very international Thanksgiving. And so... I get, I get it. I get the idea of what they were going for in this 
in this episode, and I really like the idea, because if you do look at all of these different religions, I should also say my ex-husband was Catholic, so I like that too. If you look at them all, sort of like if you do a chart, side-by-side comparison, there's so much that is the same. There's a lot more that's the same than is different. There is absolutely common ground, but like my dad is a a very conservative Catholic. He goes to the Latin masses. And his wife, my stepmother, is a moderately liberal Muslim. And they have a very good marriage, but the differences are really important. And I think... I, I just can't imagine a situation where you could combine all of these disparate religions, even the related ones, the Abrahamic religions. I think because they have common ground, it makes it even harder to right. combine them. And I'm uncomfortable with the idea that we should. Yeah. I, I went to Brandeis University for college, which is a, a very Jewish university. It was mm. founded to be a Jewish university um, after the Holocaust. So it's like... Yeah, exactly. They, there, you would lose so much of their individual identity by combining them, and I don't know what you would gain. Like, I guess harmony, you would gain, but it seems like equality is would be better than harmony, or like sort of acceptance. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just feel like it's. I I like the idea, but I'm again, I'm more interested in seeing the people making the decisions than I am in that happened 200 years ago. Yeah, I feel like it's very Star Trek to say that a homogenized monoculture is better than one with difference and potential for conflict, but that's not very Star Trek in a good way. And I feel like this is one episode, this is a very almost a standalone episode, and there's not not a lot of time for the world building and the detail that would involve, but I feel like it was a real missed opportunity. And of course, it's just so telling that this whole religion mashup still basically looks like Christianity. Right. In the, in the, the white church, it was just like, come on, guys. Like, I realized that it's supposed to be that the church was what was transported, but it was still like, in 200 years, you haven't done anything to this other than add stained glass windows. That's that's extremely Christian of you. This this story is not inherently bad, but the choices that the choices that were made along the way were very conservative. Star Trek does like to to have this big picture, yeah. And not not really get into the details, not tell anyone how that happened or how we how we got there. It's just sort of like, oh, wouldn't it be nice? I expected more of Discovery. Maybe that that's where I went wrong. Mm. Yeah. Having said that, it has sort of opened new ground in that there is an implication that there are still Earth religions being practiced in the Federation, even if they are very much in the minority. And I think that's cool because the implicit cultural erasure of a completely secular society has always troubled me. Mm. Yeah, again, there can, there can be places for everybody and that doesn't mean... Again, there's a difference between it's something that takes over everything and something that makes space for everything. Yeah, that puts it really, really well. And this means I can keep my headcanon of the Pope waking up every morning, checking her email and trolling Kai Wynn. So <laughs> I would watch that series. Thank you. Star Trek, blasphemy. <laughs> All right, let's talk about what we did like, or at least let's move on from this. Well, I feel like I know Pike better now, and I feel like he is closer this week to the character of the cage. Mm. So I'm very happy about that. I can see that. He was very, he he was, you know, in the back of my mind throughout the episode, I was like, oh, he's being intellectual, just like Liz wants. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Oh, look, he's quoting Shakespeare, and he knows all these little things, and his his father was a college professor too. Like, I was, yeah, so I I thought of you. Thank you. And and you're Pike. (laughs) I think I'm I'm still a bit ambiguous on him, but I think that's purely because he's not Walker, and so it's been two weeks and he hasn't done a single thing that's shady or sketchy or in any way troubling. (laughs) Most people would think that's a good thing. Most people are not me. (laughs) Entirely fair. 
Uh, I'm also really liking Pike's relationship with Michael. I think she really does need someone in her life who can mentor her without being shady, sketchy, or trying to seduce her without actually expressing that. And Pike is doing a good job so far. Yeah, he's good at being the, uh, the... I don't even, like, I'm going to go with college professor here too. Like, mm. a, you know, come to my office hours and, and let's discuss the assignment. Because of his relationship to Spock. Yes. Which really came off it. Like, obviously they have to have a close relationship in order to get the menagerie. Yes, yes. You know, so, like, I get it. But this, I was like, oh, wow, he, he is really someone that Spock trusts as captain but also is like beyond starfleet uh, beyond a father figure that, yeah and right which is something that spock you know i'm sh- like desperately needed when he joined starfleet i'm sure i th- i i like that he like express it like he no, not what he doesn't say like i'm good friends with spock but <laughs> through what he tells her and the fact that he didn't tell her where spock was right away like until she sort of met him halfway. He didn't mm. let any of Spock's secrets out. And then he proved that, uh, you know, Spock told no one anything except for Christopher Pike. And so yeah. that means that he was the person that, that Spock trusted with this, uh, you know, what was go- he was going through. And with, please don't tell anybody. Like It, it tells was- us a lot about Spock, but it also tells us a lot about Pike and his decency, right. which I appreciate. And- because of that, by the end of the episode, Michael also opens up to him and and puts her faith and trust in him. Yes, yes. And it is back to that faith concept, which I think comes in a variety of ways, whether that's Pike having saying say he has to have faith in the mushroom drive or Spock's trust in him or the more traditional religious faith of yeah. the planet people. And I mean, like, every time Stamets goes into the spore drive, he has to believe that everyone's going to take care of him, and they all have yes. to trust that he's going to be able to, you know, he's capable of doing it, even though it's clearly taking a toll. There's yes. a lot of of playing on faith and trust. And pixie dust, no. Um, a little bit of pixie dust. <laughs> yeah, okay. They do travel all the way across. I love it when they're like, they're in Beta Quadrant. I'm like, oh, Voyager. <laughs> Whenever they're traveling around amongst quadrants, I think of Voyager. <laughs> they were stuck. I'm really curious to see why the sport drive is eventually decommissioned yeah. forever. Because you know that given half a chance, Janeway would build that from scratch and strap herself in. Yes. Along the way, we learn that Spike has checked himself into a psychiatric hospital. So I figured he was, like, doing a hippie backpacker tour, basically. Right, yeah. I could absolutely see, like, a spiritual getting in touch with the red signals or whatever. Like, yeah. Like, have to get away from technology in order to... But, no. he. I guess he tried that for a week and it didn't work out. So, so like, how long has he been in? I'm very confused as to the time. I have no idea how much time has gone by since the war. Me neither, but it seems... I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Like, obviously, the Enterprise had to come back to Federation space before Spock could go on leave and then check himself into the psychiatric hospital. It's possible that several weeks passed between Laurel getting the hydro bomb on Kronos and yeah, the medal I'm, ceremony. That would make sense. That does make sense. But, but I, I wish I knew, I guess, is the, uh, the answer. I, I don't understand the timeline entirely. But no. I guess it's, it's I guess it's not important. <laughs> I guess that's what we're supposed to take from it is don't worry about these details, which again but we is do. We're trekkies. I know it's weird. But yeah, so I'm interested in Spock's experiences there. Yes. Yes. What he's doing. I'm rather curious that it was a, presumably still the war, the middle of the war when he turns up and he's like, well, I'm a very highly qualified officer, but I'd like to voluntarily check myself in, if that's okay. Like, can you do that in that situation? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not saying that, that he shouldn't seek mental health care when he needs it. I just think that seems very dramatic given the circumstances. <laughs> well, we all know that Spock is super dramatic. 
He gets Any, it from his mom. Anyone, I was going to say, anyone in Sarek family, they are all ridiculously dramatic. And and Spock is certainly not, you know, I mean, first of all, of course he didn't tell his family. He would, he would never. No. You know, no, one, no one's surprised about that. But at the same time, he did leave a message that only members of his family would be able to find. I know. So it's like, oh, Spock, you, you just, he's just so, he's so Spock all the time. He's, he's of two minds constantly. I wish Dr. McCoy was around to make fun of this, but since he's not, <laughs> I have to do it instead. You green-blooded, pointy-eared, sappy idiot. <laughs> just, just talk to your family. Just do it. Yeah, yeah. your mum will understand. Just. Silly boy. I mean, um, I know that it's it's his Vulcan upbringing that he's not supposed to show all of his feelings. But what if he tried? Yeah, but 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 maybe if you're if you're at the point where you're like, I'm going to check myself into the mental hospital. Maybe it's okay to show your feelings. You're if you're already acknowledging that there's something wrong with you, just do it. Just let it. Let it all out. Like, clearly he's not going to call Sarek. He's definitely not going to call Michael. Is it possible that Amanda did know all along and just hasn't told anyone else in her family? I suppose it's possible. I just want Amanda to have stuff to do that's separate from Sarek. I just want people to talk to each other. I'm a big proponent of communication. Okay, but you know what family we're talking about, right? <laughs> yes. It's another ten years before Spock and Sarek will be on speaking terms. Oh, dear. Oh, well. We learn more about Awashikon. We do. I mean, both Awashikon and Detmer got, like, backstory yeah. of these. Yeah. Um, and Pike, I should say. Also, like, we learned more about all of them. And I that, that was great, but sometimes it felt a little clunky. It did not feel particularly organic, particularly Detmer's, oh, I've had my pilot's license since I was 12. That really felt um, shoehorned in. Yeah, I'm glad that they, I love character building. (laughs) And I think I like, it's not poorly done, but uh, clunky character building more than no character building. But I always just sort of like, this could be polished. Yeah. I also feel a bit like, well, I thought these characters were cool before they had names. So, like, maybe I I, I, I think I'm just being contrarian again and, and feeling like I don't need them to have personalities or backstories. <laughs> I like them already. I'm like you people who need to have it spoon-fed to you. But I think that's also because I'm very defensive of Michael's role as the protagonist and I keep worrying that this ensemble focus will take away from that even though it continues not I don't to. think it's going to I don't think I, so yeah, either, I don't know but, I just you know. it just seemed a little bit like I don't know there it was it was cool that that she got to go down on the away team um and it was cool that she had a reason to go down on the away team but mm. again it's sort of like a it's they said this is this is what she, you know this is her backstory she grew up in a in a Luddite group collective a luddite collective they're also atheists i don't think luddites were intrinsically religious were they they were just were being displaced by the industrial like revolution when you th- the ones that you think of today are more religious like the amish or the um, mennonites? mennonites thank you <laughs> so uh that it was interesting but those two like things and then she she does get to let them out of the trapdoor through her great magnet knowledge that doesn't require any kind of electricity or contraptions. Um, so it was great, but it was also sort of like they, I don't know, it just, it didn't seem, like it was, you said organic, it didn't seem organic. It seemed very like we created this situation for her to show this because we didn't want to just tell you we wanted to show you as well and like that's a, which is normally a good impulse yeah which, which is which is not bad but i don't know it just seemed weird I, yeah i don't I, I, again I it could be agree. a pacing thing it, because it, i just really felt like nothing really happened in this like this episode was just sort of like things would sort of throw out i don't know 
it was weird. I had, I had weird, I didn't, things just kept sort of happening and not resolving. I don't know. No, I had the same, I had the same feeling. It was hard to keep track of the progression of the plot. Yeah. I'm being so down on this. But we're having such a good time dissecting <laughs> it, and I think that's yeah. what's important. And, and I'm again, I don't like. I don't think it's a bad episode. I just think that it had a lot more details that I liked than execution. Yeah. It had better ideas than stuff that happened. Yeah, it felt like a draft. Yeah. Which is worrying this early in the season. Yeah. But I also note that, with the exception of Alex Kurtzman. Uh, the writers are all new to Discovery as well. So that might be part of it. Yeah. And I, I do think it it's also partially because this is, we're still not supposed to know what's going on. Yes. So it's very possible that like a lot of the early episodes of season one, we will go back when we have yeah. the full story and look at all this in a fresh light. Right. One thing I'm going to say while we're talking about and the planet is yeah. that I have this quirk where I love names. <laughs> I think of names as words yes. and and that they all have different meanings and there's all this, you know, especially in fiction. Yes. In reality, people get names for whatever reason, like they're uh, a legacy or it's a something that they liked or a character they liked, whatever. But in fiction... Yeah. Names are important. You choose these names <laughs> and so you don't just randomly. Yes. And I liked that when Pike introduced them, um, you know, he's, he introduced them with their first names. And so he was Christopher, and this is Michael, and this is Joanne. And we never learn what Jacob's last name yes. is either. So those four people have such religious names. <laughs> like, Christopher is they the do. most obvious, probably, because it's literally from Christ. And he was, yes. of the awaiting, certainly, he was the most, like... I'm on board with this. I I know how to say goodbye in in uh, Christianity, so uh, so I'm just gonna pull <laughs> that right out here. And and as much as like Michael was so funny when she was like, well, what about if science is your faith? What you know? What do you think of that? And it was like, Michael, yes, people don't yes. talk like that. <laughs> like just just stop. Michael, you need to get off Reddit. It was so. Why are you having this conversation with these people? <laughs> like I I get that. By the end of it, it sort of made sense because she was on team. We have to bring these people back to Earth because they shouldn't be here. But at the time, it was like, why are you trying to blow our cover <laughs> by by bringing these things up that these people wouldn't say? It just seemed weird. I think that was part of her motivation. And also, she's slightly freaking out, not just by the angel, because she's seen much creepier and weirder and stranger things in her life. But right that Spock knew about the red yeah. signals before they happened. And if she's now seeing the angel too, and he's in a psychiatric hospital, I'd be a little worried. Yeah, I think she's not outright having a crisis of faith, but this is not the time to confront her with religious concepts right. because she's not in the place but to But Michael is an archangel, so that's a that's certainly a, yes. uh, a religious and Christian name. And then... In Judaism, Michael was the advocate of the Jews, and in the New Testament, Michael leads God's armies yes. against Satan's forces in the book of Revelation. I'm <laughs> reading from Wikipedia. I'm Catholic. We don't do Revelation. And then Joanne is a another, uh, it's a uh, variation on Joan, and I'm going to go with the most oh, famous Mark. Joan is, right, Jeanne d'Arc, who is a saint yes. and, uh, you know, was another soldier for Christ. So there's a theme here. <laughs> um, yes. And then Jacob is uh, a very Jewish name, a very Old Testament name. Thematically, it's interesting to, to look at those choices. I can add something to that, though. Gabriel was also an archangel. Or is. I can't speak to his whereabouts That's right now. why but... I shipped them. <laughs> like, I was really into the idea that Michael and Gabriel had to be connected. <laughs> you were not wrong. Uh, you know, it, it was like OTP Archangel. Yeah. I definitely uh, agree with that connection. And I also think that it's not like we're supposed to forget about him. I, he's not important to the story right now, but I also think that there are still parts of 
you know, the first episode was very, Lorca is still hanging over us all. Absolutely. So I, I think we're supposed to keep up with that. I'm actually a little concerned that all this talk about the mycelial network bringing people back, that they could specifically bring Mirror Lorca back because he died with a sword through the chest being disintegrated by the mycelial. Yeah. And I don't want that guy back. I want Prime Lorca. I'm done with Mirror yeah. Lorca. He's had his t- chance. Yeah, let's talk about how the mycelial network is bringing people back. Tilly has a ghost friend. It could be a ghost. It could be the spore that dropped into her shoulder last season. It could be the dark matter asteroid. It could be the two of them interacting. Maybe she had a head injury and too much coffee. Yeah, it could be It could be any of those. It's probably not the last option, but I'm just putting it out there for the sake of... If you of, think about it, it's sort of know. like... Because Sam has told her that he saw Hugh, and so, like... She had that in her head yes. when she had this head injury. So it, it yeah. makes sense, you know, and I don't know why this particular person that she didn't even really recognize right away. That to me suggests it's either the mycelial network trolling her or it is just her subconscious. Yeah. I mean, I think I would prefer, like, as much as I don't want Tilly to be damaged or, or mm. needing to go to the psychiatric hospital too... I worry about the mycelia network bringing more than Hugh back. Like, I get that yes. we're going to get Hugh Culber back, but if it's like you can bring anybody back, that's a problem. We want death to have some meaning, even in this universe. Yeah, I just, it's, with all the religious stuff going on in this discussion, I, I'm just against... <laughs> reincarnation in any way <laughs> sorry <laughs> maybe as as new people but i don't yeah i am just like ooh, i don't i don't like where i don't want that to happen i would rather she be a figment of her imagination of in some way or i will take a message from yeah. the mycelial network or the asteroid or both yeah. rather than literally the dead coming back to life and i'm sure it is more more than just tilly's dead friend or childhood acquaintance because uh, I didn't because I didn't really have a relationship beyond briefly being childhood friends before Tilly changed schools what is the point of literally bringing this girl back whereas if she's the manifestation of something else again that she didn't recognize her right away and two she didn't know she was dead so it's it's like they weren't close clearly they this wasn't a Paul and Hugh situation. Yeah. I can't, can barely remember who I was friends with when I was, what age is junior yeah, high? Uh, 14? I would, 14 is ninth grade, so it would be like 11 to 13, 11 to 14, depending on where you go to school. Okay. Yeah. Well, I changed schools at the end of year eight and I can barely remember yeah. anyone from my class at that school. It's, I mean, as the mother of a, a child who is currently 13, um, I can tell you that it's, the worst years of your life yes and my all of my memories of middle school are terrible you know it's like I was miserable the whole time and whenever I tell people you know I whenever I ask people that they would say the same thing it's like oh my daughter doesn't lay school right now and they're like Mm. yeah it's middle school (laughs) and it's interesting that she's from that period because yeah, you don't. No one has good memories of that that I have encountered. I joke that I write middle grade fiction, not young adult, because I'm still coping with the trauma of being twelve years old. Exactly, and she's not remembering her again. She's not remembering her as twelve. She's remembering her, I guess, as the age she was when she died. I, I don't. Like she died in the last couple of years, so I'd say she's about Tilly's age, give or take. Like, not someone who seems out of place on Discovery. It's an interesting... Interested. I'm intrigued where that's going to go. I, I just... I have, I'm scared, but I'm trusting that it's going to end up <laughs> great. And I like the, uh, the actress. It was a good performance. It was very... I was like, oh, oh yeah. I, you know, who are you? Tell me more about you. Yes, tell me everything else you've been in. So I'm... I'm uh, I don't think it's bad. And I'm not... I'm not uh, upset in any way about 
what might happen. I just was, when it first, and it, it's sort of like the scene where Tilly runs one way and then runs the other way and uh, May just sort of watches. I was like, you're not real. <laughs> so like, I was, it was pretty yeah. clear pretty quickly before the reveal that there was something weird going on and I was like, yeah, yeah you're not, you're not, a, you're, I can tell you're not really there. You're not a real girl. Right. We've all seen Battlestar Galactica. We exactly. all know how to spot a head person. <clears throat> Though, if Tilly wants to have, like, James Callis <laughs> move into her head, I know yeah. several people well, who'd be okay with that. <laughs> I mean, I'm also, I'm also good with May staying around as long as it doesn't affect Tilly negatively. And she's just, like, a helpful little person. I just don't want anything bad no. to happen to Tilly. I don't think that's unreasonable. It's, it's like, scary. Every, every Everything... Every scene that Tilly's in is like, oh, okay, she's okay. I will say, like, back in season one, I really didn't want them to go to the Mirror Universe because I didn't want Tilly to be exposed to that. And, you know, she handled it great. So I think maybe we need to have more faith in her. But also she needs to have more faith in herself, stop drinking so much coffee, and stop overcompensating so much. Precisely. Which I think I kind of think she will, like after her heart to heart with Saru and he shares his story about learning yeah. ninety Federation languages. Like I feel like she's the scenes gonna be between okay. Saru and Tilly and the scenes between Pike and Michael were definitely my favorite parts of this episode. Like the those two versions of mentoring and two versions of mentees, I guess. Like Yes. I would I really liked that. And I loved that after last week we were like, you know who would be Sue would be a really good role model for Tilly. And then, like, that's what happened. I was like, yes! I know! I know! We are so smart! We're on the same page, Discovery. More or less. And he was so... Like, I just, I was like, I wanted to give him a big hug and say thank you for being so wonderful, Sue. Like, to Tilly, and and it, you know, it made me feel better. (laughs) As um, watching, I was like, oh. So, yeah, that was, I really liked their interactions and even how you know when she shows up on the bridge in, in her hospital gown and after that whole scene is like well I guess I mm. was not entirely correct about what you know in the advice I gave and just like you oh, know it was good advice <laughs> you were completely right but yeah. I just also had to do this thing I, I noticed she's also emulating Michael in the first episode, turning up in her <laughs> hospital gown like that. And so even though we have not seen as much of Michael mentoring Tilly this season, and I think that's fair to move on from that, you know, she's still following in Michael's <laughs> footsteps, hopefully without the mutiny. This is, this is a, a shallow comment, but I didn't like that mm-hmm. a hospital gown as much as the Voyager ones. I really like the blue Voyager <laughs> which I guess maybe on the other shows but I remembered them the most on Voyager and I was just like oh who made this like it it just it looked uncomfortable (laughs) it didn't it didn't look like a cozy gown it looked like I guess more like a regular like a our century (laughs) hospital gown in that it was like yes coarse and it just didn't look comfortable in any way I just want to point out for any listeners who don't follow Annika on social media that her user icon on Tumblr is literally a sketch of Seska from Voyager wearing the Voyager era hospital gown. She is very biased. <laughs> okay, that's true. But I still, I stand by I'm just saying. the Voyager hospital gowns are prettier and look more comfortable. Honestly, I, I always look at the, the sick bay beds in Discovery and go, they're so short. Like when Ash Tyler was on one, his legs were just hanging over the edge. Like, guys, did you run out of money? <laughs> I feel bad for everybody at Medical for having to wear those white uniforms. Oh, I love the white uniforms. I think they're they're great, but they're so stark white. It, I just, I would be so worried, especially in sick bay. Like, isn't that where it's going to be the messiest? Like, I don't know. I get it, but I also don't get it. I recall reading that, and I based a whole fic on this mental image, that uh, the Mirror Universe version of the medical uniform was red. And I assume that's because the doctors over there do a lot of, you know, blood stuff. Oh, that's terrible and wonderful. I I guess in in the Discovery White Medical Whites, you wouldn't want to be walking around with open cups of coffee. That's what I'm saying. But it just Mm. seems... It seems dangerous. They look great. 
I guess. They're very crisp. I guess they're, uh, you show up a lot. Like, oh, you're obviously a doctor. I know, but Wilson Cruz looks so good in there. <laughs> yes, he does. And this is a utopian future. I'm sure they have really good Tide pens. Oh, okay. <laughs> or, I mean, they could probably just throw it in a replicator and get another one or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, they're fine. I have a shallow observation of my own. Uh, last season, I was concerned that with Discovery success, uh, nebulous, faceless network executives would make Mary Wiseman lose weight. And instead, I think she's actually gained a little as Tilly, and it's great. I so rarely see women with my body shape on television. On television, yeah. So I've seen, I've seen that sentiment a lot. They, it's like, oh, I feel like I could be in a Starfleet now. And it's like, yes, wow, how, how screwed up are we <laughs> that we, until now... That hasn't been a possibility. Right. Like, I feel like I am within a few kilos of feeling like I could cosplay Tilly without looking terrible or feeling terrible. And it's not really about how I look, it's how I feel, because my friends are very fat, fat, fat positive and would never say anything or look at me funny, but I would know. Mm-hmm. I love her hair, too. I just love her hair. She's Whatever, so However she does it. No matter, like, I thought with the cute little two buns it's uh, it's just so cute yeah i did not love the princess leia hair i would <laughs> like to see an end to that but it was very tilly so we're almost done but i just wanted to say i've mentioned a couple of times that i think characters are overcompensating for their perceived weaknesses like pike was really too friendly last week uh michael here is going like oh no i have no interest in religious faith i am a scientist and i definitely didn't see an angel that's that's a really good michael impression oh it was excellent thank you and tilly is just a mass of concealed insecurities that she's trying to hide by talking too fast and being the smartest person in the room And I really like this theme, and I think it feels very realistic. But at the same time, I feel like the show might be overcompensating to for the fans who didn't care for season one. Yeah. I just want to say one thing, that just because the way you said that, what came into yeah. my head was, oh, well, and Detmer's I've had a pilot's license since I was 12, yeah. totally fits in with this theme. So, so even though it stood out, it's like, oh, now I see that it was part of the plan. I get it. So... Yeah. It's all, it's defensive. Right. Again, the fans loved how Star Trekky this episode was. Mm. So maybe the writers like I I I'm going to say I'm never against quote unquote fan service because like I'm I'm against fan service for the sake of fan service, but mm fan service for like I'm telling the story and we can choose A or B and B people will like more like why not choose B yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so, so so yeah I don't know I again I it, it wasn't it wasn't servicing me particularly I guess in that I don't need a, a new version of the next generation or the original series <laughs> or callbacks like I don't know I I I think with season one I felt like it was very much aimed at me and I felt like I was a very valid part of the demographic which we certainly didn't get with Voyager Voyager was considered a failure because it got the highest ratings among women instead of men (laughs) and so I feel like Obviously, it's natural for a series to retool itself in a second season. This is a different story and it strikes a different different tone. There are completely reasonable causes for this shift. And maybe I'm being paranoid, but I just don't want them to be catering to the Reddit bros who love this episode. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't... <laughs> I, I don't go on Reddit, so I don't know about the Reddit bros. But I do need to stop. Like, the, the people that I know that really love this episode I are people who also love season one and people who are vocally for Discovery um, mm. and for the, the characters and, and love Michael and, you know, as the protagonist and think that she's not only an amazing character but also important 
to have mm. in this moment of ta- of our actual present. Yes. And certainly there was one Reddit bro who was like, that's it, I'm out of here. This show is too feminist to be Star Trek. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, what the- thank you. You have re- restored my love, <laughs> like strengthened my love for this show. And to wrap up, I will say... This may have been Star Trek that played it very, very safe, but it's also the first time we've seen this particular story with a landing party where the women outnumbered men. Uh-huh. And two black women. Yes! And neither of them died, which is a big step forward for Discovery. hmm <laughs> That's sad. But yes, yay. And Pike listened to both of them and gave both of them opportunities to prove to him that hit like to to argue against his decision and he listened yes and even though ultimately michael disagrees with him but follow his follows his orders anyway it's not portrayed as a situation where oh the white man was right all along it was a case of michael learning from her past mistakes and trusting mm-hmm. which she has always struggled to do and whereas compared with other media, and I'm calling out Doctor Who here because that's where I'm most familiar with the dynamic, but there are many cases in that series where any situation where young black women are working alongside an older white man, there's an uncomfortable dynamic, and I didn't feel that here. Hmm. I guess I would wait, like, before I sign off on that opinion, I would like to hear from actual women of colour, Yeah. but that's my instinct. Okay. Outro? Outro. Here we go. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can, in fact, rate and review us on iTunes. Five star reviews help make us visible to the algorithm that rules everyone's lives. You cannot support us on Patreon or like us on Facebook. You can find us online at antimatter.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. Please send vaguely positive thoughts in our direction. And join us next week for more Discovery. Did you mean antimatterpod.tumblr.com? Yes. What did they say? <laughs> you said antimatter. Whoops. Okay. I'll I don't try think again. You mean... No, no, we don't need to. I liked that. <laughs> have, a, have a great week. I'll see you online. <laughs> okay.